Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Lewis Hamilton, World Crampion. That's from Christopher Fonseca on Twitter. And you will understand shortly why a pun was allowed to be the show title. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Good afternoon, Matt. Afternoon. You have nailed it. And good evening. Yeah. Is it later there or earlier? I get so confused. It's later because for some reason we still move our clocks backwards and forwards. I think it's so that so that farm tractors don't get confused for some reason. I don't I don't know why we still do it. But on the positive side, my car clock is finally correct again. And this time, for the first time ever, Matt, I remembered to tell all the Americans and all the North Americans that were coming on the show that the time had moved, which I feel represents a massive personal growth. I was going to say that does seem to be a, a big step forward in terms of your personal growth and my previous experience on the show. Uh, but I'm really annoyed that you, like me, just don't bother to change your car clock and just let it be off by an hour for half the year. Yeah, every single winter. Uh, let me tell you guys, though, that we are professional in every other way. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined on the show by the edgiest man in all of Edgytown. It's Kyle Power at Kyle Power F1. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Spanners. How's it going? And we're joined by you and your new lizard called Dimitri. Dimitri. 
I was going to say, Keeping Dimitri. Keeping the uh, Slavic theme going on. Ah, good. So great to have Kyle and Dimitri on the panel. And we're also joined by making his debut. Don't be nervous. It's Nick Numbers Alexander. Hi, Nick. Well, I wasn't going to be nervous until you told me not to be nervous. And you have therefore totally jinxed it. Ah, curses. Commentator's curse on the panel. Uh, that's your panel. Me, Matt Trumpets, Kyle Power and Nick Alexander. Oh, Matt, this feels like a race where we could very much start at the start. It was a race of very starty starts indeed. Uh, But before we get into the racy, racy bit, the pre-race stuff, where should we start with that? Well, I think probably in terms of understanding the race, it's important to know the following factors. One, it was basically a brand new track for everybody. Two, it was constrained running throughout the weekend uh, because of a Pirelli tire test and then Gasly's Carbecue and then Stroll versus Verstappen. And then exceptionally uh, in FP3, we had Vettel ripping up a drain cover and depriving, depriving everyone of a chance to even have a practice start on the Saturday. When I were a lad, they used to drive over eight drain covers per race. Then they'd go do a shift in the mine. What, what are they like, modern drivers? Too soft. Yeah, I agree. I mean, everyone always complains about track limits, but I, I looked at the result of, of Vettel's driving over the drain cover. I'm like, I bet that'd keep them inside the track, wouldn't it? Well, are you proposing that we simply line all the tracks with drain covers and just be like, right, that's proper jeopardy, that? That's like a minefield. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a wall, but just different, you know? Yeah, and so, you know, fair enough. They had to delay qualifying for half an hour. My lad was very, very pleased with that because he was playing video games and he got to do that for longer. Um, but Again, with the qualifying into Q3, you see the the top guys, in this case, just Mercedes, being able to go out on the mediums and get that double double tyre advantage again. Uh, but I guess not so much of an advantage this time. Well, not so much of an advantage, but also uh, shocking to me. Uh, for example, in FP3, Renault were quicker on the mediums than they were on the softs. I'm pretty sure Red Bull was quicker on the mediums than they were on the soft. And it was a real surprise to me to see them come out on the softs. I mean, I guess they thought maybe the track temperature had gone up some, so maybe the softs would really come into their own, and they they own that usual advantage that you get on that tire. But it really did not work out that way. No, and let, let's talk about the track itself then, Kyle, because it looked like um it looked like a real like racers challenge. Um, and I what I fully expected was to see kind of like the wet weather guys doing well on this slippery surface. But actually, it, it didn't seem to reward that kind of driving it it seemed to almost punish the guys that are a bit more aggressive and a bit more tail happy so Hamilton looked to have lost a little bit of an edge Ricardo was struggling a little bit maybe Max wasn't fully on fire in qualifying yeah they were they were a bit put off by the surface uh new surface it's only two months old I believe releasing still some oils and stuff and it's just it especially with the soft tie it just wasn't working the compound wasn't working with the tarmac but the circuit's wonderful it's a roller coaster ride it's up and down it's another yeah. Magello sort um sort of type of track and again we have seen fantastic racing on another fairly tight in places fast sweeping track where if you look at it from the overview you wouldn't have thought that there was going to be some good side-by-side racing but once again there was it seems like one of those classic uh, it's the same for everybody situations in f1 that you had all these drivers complaining that the track is slippery and it's like yes track (laughs) is slippery for everybody else as well um and in the end the top order kind of shook out the way that that you would expect yeah but see the thing is matt we've 
we in F1, let's take full credit for it. We in F1 have been obsessed with getting the ultimate lap times, the best downforce, the most grip. And it's been almost like an obsessive, relentless pursuit with the cars, especially since 2014 and that knee jerk reaction of the slightly slower times with the hybrid. But what we've kind of what's kind of flown under the radar and we should have spoken to um, to Mr. Carter's uh, business associate, uh, Phil, who designs the track, is why are the track surfaces so often lend towards trying to be the grippiest, best race circuit? I could understand if you were a go-kart track and you wanted to attract corporate-style racers like me and you get there and you go, this feels amazing. I can hang on to every corner. I can get the best race experience. But for top-tier racing, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we have surfaces that are hard to get to get grippy tires onto? Uh- that's an interesting question, but I think in general, the the issue is not so much the compound that the tires are running on, but how the tires are running in the weather with what you've already laid down. And, um, you know, they talked a lot about how it was still very close because it was it was a new surface. But to me, it's even less that because we certainly saw Sochi have a great race on a brand new surface with no degradation at all. I think the real issue is the fact that the weather itself was kind of inappropriate for the tires that Pirelli have designed. I mean, it was not, the track was in the low 20s and dropping during the race. And they brought the hardest tires because they didn't know what to expect because they hadn't had any running, including Pirelli, on the track. And a combination is what really set this off, I think. So I imagine that if Pirelli doesn't know which tires to bring, that they're going to bring the hardest tires because the worst thing that could happen for them would be if they blew up. And I think we've said it over and over again on the show that us, this little group here, I think it's safe to say, isn't really as concerned with the outright lap time and, you know, what some other prototype car could theoretically do on the same lap so much as we are concerned with the relative pace in the racing. And I actually seem to tend to particularly enjoy these these low grip tracks. I think it opens us up to some some pretty good overtaking opportunities in the slow corners. Yeah. And with the um with the tires i don't think they were too too hard and it wasn't the fact that the soft wasn't working i don't think was much to do with it being too soft it just couldn't switch on for some reason the chemicals in the compound just was not working with the track and i think temperature played a huge part in this matt can probably expand on it a bit more but the temperature was just the softs just could not switch on but i would still like to see pirelli coming softer on the compound because again people running the hard tires is showing that yeah the compounds probably are a bit too soft and that medium went so far into the race it just yeah they just brought the wrong the soft i think they could have gone another step softer and then maybe that would have worked i would like to see them go much more aggressive in the tires they bring yeah 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 so what you're saying is evidence that the soft tire wouldn't work so uh you you definitely wouldn't want to do your final stint of the race on soft tires (sighs) yeah sigh I'm just going to, you're, you're making me do this. I didn't want to do this, this early in. Go on. But I'm just going to say anyone who looked at Pierre Gasly's first stint in the race okay, and then looked at how fast most of the people went on the hard tires when they went on them and how many laps they took to warm up. Well, if you're waiting to the very end to switch tires, then, then the hard tire is not the one you wanted to choose at all. Okay. Don't worry. You can make me sound silly about my lack of tire knowledge later. There'll be plenty of time for that. Obviously, there was a little bit of a coming together 
between Lance Stroll and and um, and Max Verstappen. But since all of the chatter around that seemed to be focused around, well, if this was a race situation, and you're thinking, oh, if only we could see a direct comparison of this of this event in the race situation, Lance Stroll uh, provided. So we will follow with that. We'll follow up with that in our whose fault is it section. Um, are we ready to move on to the racy race, Matt? Shall we? Racy uh, race. I think we shall. All right, let's do it. This is the point of the show where we turn to our esteemed colleague, Mr. Matthew Abraham Montgomery Trumpets, the third Esquire, to tell us where the race was won and lost. Well, we've kind of been over this ground a little bit. <laughs> You're going to say tires, aren't you? I cannot yeah. help but start. I cannot help but start with the tires okay. and the weather because I don't think they're really a separable category here. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think if we'd had harder temperatures, we would have seen a different sort of a race with the tires. But the tires were everything in the race. And it was really, and it was always going to come down to who with the least data could manage the tires the best. And I would argue that our top 10 pretty much answered that question rather decidedly. And then the second place, and we're going to have to talk about this, I think a little bit maybe in whose fault in a bit. (laughs) Yeah is the start itself, because not only did we have tires graining on on the way to the grid, never mind the formation lap, but we had rain. The surface was greasy, and had that continued, we would have had a very, very different race, because as we all saw saw at the start, the medium tire was really not working at all in cold and greasy conditions relative to the soft tire, which outside of those conditions didn't necessarily provide the best support for um for going fast. So and then the yeah. last place the race was won and lost was lap twenty when we saw Hamilton well, I hate to use the word effortlessly, but yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Just blew by Botas. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do that thing that will probably annoy you. And from my report, I'm gonna read the following sentence I wrote at lap twelve, nearly five seconds off the quote battle for the lead, which mm-hmm. honestly was very much about tire management until the pit window for the medium got a bit closer. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, 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 then, you've given us three big battlegrounds there. The, the tires and the weather, the start and lap 20, where for being the places where the race was won and lost. I think we have covered the tires and weather a fair bit. Nick? I wanted to talk about tires, but only very briefly it, because Do there it. was That's only fine. one of his 17 comments. It seems like every time we get some sort of limit to the practice time and the data collection about the tires, the race always benefits from the lack of information. And I know not everyone watches FP2, especially because it's at 6 a.m. in the U.S. and stuff like that, but they were running, you know, test tires for half an hour in, in FP2. Yeah. And um, I don't I don't remember if, if the drain cover meant lost time in FP3 as well, but it just seems like anytime they can't run as much for whatever reason, it always ends up being better. And so when we're going to have, a, you know, two-day race weekends, I am mm, super pumped. Well, kind of, kind of, but it's the same as uh, when we have when we have rain, we have slightly more interesting races because there's less data on what to do with rain and it's always changing. If every single F1 race was run on a wet track, they would soon become experts uh, uh, being on a wet track. So my, my suspicion, Nick, is if we just cut down to fully two-day weekends, the teams would just get better and better and better at running two-day weekends. 
Well, maybe. Maybe there should be uh, you know, more encouragement of getting more drivers in testing an FP1 or something. Yeah. Some sort of way to not take away the time completely, but to shake it up a little bit so it's not just 100% perfect data collection all the time. So you can do um, a shake, you can do shakedown laps on a Friday with your reserve drivers. And then the Grand Prix drivers don't necessarily, you know, get the experience, but you'd still have the data there, Matt. Uh, You'd have the data. And this is the other thing that that we forget is that it was a new track for the teams. It Mm. was a new track for Pirelli. So normally if that, if you have this constrained sort of running, you have historical data you can go back for and you can uh, create uh, tire models and estimate strategies from. But nobody had that data, including Pirelli, including the Pirelli engineers that are embedded in with the teams. So it was it was going to be a lot of guesswork and, yeah. and really much more so than much more so than normal down to the drivers to provide information to the engineers as they were driving. And we know that in the temperatures, in particular, the left front tended to grain, mm-hmm. which is where you roll beads of rubber off the surface instead of transferring energy into the bulk. We've gone all tech time there. But uh, no, Nick no. stumbled on a stumbled onto a you know an interesting vein. You know, there's been a lot of talk about limited testing time. I always feel like if you give the drivers more and more time, there are certain drivers who will just get better and better and better. So over a race weekend, Lewis Hamilton seems to grow and improve. And I think if you take away some of that testing time, he wouldn't quite have the chance to stretch his legs quite as far. So in new conditions. You know, Bottas seems to to get there and get on with it fairly quickly. And Hamilton seems to be able to stretch away and overtake him. Um, And in this scenario, Matt, where the drivers had no previous experience of the track, the conditions were always changing. It was hard to get to grips with it. I know Lewis Hamilton ended up getting the pole. But in a way, that was kind of more down to, well, they made that decision to do the three runs and fuel high rather than the one run that Bottas did. It still felt going into the race that Bottas had the advantage here. And then it's, it definitely felt after lap one, like Bottas was, he was the man. He was the man here on this track. And I, I don't think fundamentally he's as bad as the results against Lewis Hamilton seem to show. We'll discuss where Hamilton's big advantage came in this race. But up to that point, it, Bottas looked every bit the measure of Lewis Hamilton, Matt than Nick. Well, to be fair, that would be lap six, I think, which is when he passed signs for the lead. Mm. And we could talk about signs being in the lead as a result of the tires, <laughs> we will, we will. which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. But as the track cleared up and the mediums came in into their own, uh, yeah, there was no disputing that that was the tire to be on. And yeah, he owned the first part of the race and he owned the race until lap 19 when, mm. as we said, it happened. His tires went off and Lewis's did not. Right. So two drivers were lapped by their teammates today. And Valtteri was neither of those drivers and I think maybe is not nearly as far off the pace of his teammate as uh, we might say. And um, no. I think this Lewis guy might be might be pretty good. Might be... <laughs> yeah, he might be all right, Carl. He might be all right, this Lewis guy. I just want to start with the, the positives for Valtteri Bottas, because aside from kind of the well-known method by which Lewis Hamilton seems to be getting him in races... He was brilliant. He was brilliant on the first lap. He was brilliant in quality. He was. He was. He, he did fantastic. The guy's. He's not a mug. 
No, it's not at all. And it was extremely Bottas 2.4, 0.5, 0.6, whatever he is now on the first lap again with um, Verstappen. He went wheel to wheel Verstappen. It's not often that you see Max being pushed out in a wheel to wheel fight. Mm. Um, and Bottas was getting extremely, extremely fighty. But once again, we see where Hamilton has the upper edge. And I put it on my notes. It was laps. He sat until about lap 16. He sat a few seconds, about three seconds behind from Valtteri. No, it wasn't even. And he did exactly what he did in yeah. the previous um previous race where he's just letting Valtteri burn his tires out or do what he's got to do. And then as soon as on lap 16, he turns the heat on and he starts to close in big chunk lap after lap after lap. And it was just seamless, just blasted past him and went off into the distance. And Lewis said himself afterwards, he was rewriting the playbook. Now the word playbook is not the rule book. It's how you might go about playing the game. And he was learning and adapting the whole way through. And, and you're talking about the whole way through his battles against Rosberg. Uh, yes, he did this before in, um, and he's proven it time and time again, back in 2014 in the Malaysian Grand Prix, which was round two new regulations. Hamilton didn't really get a chance to show his learning prowess in the first race because he had a technical problem. But in that Malaysia race, he beat, he beat, um, Rosberg by about 30 seconds. Um, cause he was adapting and learning how to get the best out of the tires during the race and bot and Rosberg actually commissioned a report within Mercedes to work out how Hamilton had figured that out because he was just completely dumbfounded as to how Hamilton had done it. And he's done exactly the same to Bottas again here. This is the most exaggerated example we have seen of it this year, but it was a, a mastery of getting the most out of the tires and working it out on the fly. Uh, so I just want to get in briefly and, and say that we can look at how people did in the race relative to their tendencies on their tires. People who were harder on their tires and cars that were harder on their tires tended to do better at the start because they got the energy into the tires quicker, got them up to temperature. But as the race wore on, they struggled more and more and more because they couldn't manage the graining and they couldn't manage the temperatures as well. And I think the start between Bottas and Hamilton is a perfect, a perfect illustration of that. Lewis had a harder time at the start because he drives more kindly on his tires. And so when it came time, he had way more to work with as he went. And that's very much down to driver management, not engineer or team management in the cockpit. All right. Well, I agree. Kyle. Yeah. And, um, and it's just purely adapting whilst you're on the move and managing and managing to to deal with that and he was very um yeah and he was a bit candid after the race so i don't know whether he's guarded with his engineering sort of talk <laughs> on the radio sometimes yeah. but he he was kind of a bit guarded he was like yeah i was i was i was noticing things and learning things as i went along and how to use that and he wasn't necessarily giving away how he was how he was doing that i realize we probably can't give comment of the week to a driver but i don't know it was around lap 30 or 32 when everybody else was starting to say oh my tires are gone my tires are gone he came on the radio and said Gee, guys, my tires feel fantastic. Yeah, having having previously complained complained about them setting fast laps, and I guess maybe they did just sort of come uh, come back in. Um, yeah, so look, we know Hamilton now. It's not it's not really controversial anymore. We know he is a bit of a tire whisperer, and that's where he gets advan- his advantage on Bottas. I kind of just want to pretend for a little while that he'd not figured out that massive tire advantage on on Bottas, and look at that first lap in isolation. Um, and then kind of ignore the fact that that McLaren have been doing this. McLaren have been uh, getting punchy at the starts, um, turning on their tyres very quickly, and then falling away throughout the race. So they've not been able to hold that early performance. This has been a bit of a feature of McLaren's season and and race pace, Carl. 
But just, you know, on merit, the battle we had on lap one was astonishing. Some of the best lap one action that I've seen in F1 for a long, long time. And aside from my death screams around turn four, as you can imagine, uh, I have to report now, sadly, I have to report from the ready household stewards. um, Treeface and I received a very stern reprimand for my reaction to the Verstappen-Perez incident. Um, But aside from that, suddenly Kimi Raikkonen was up in sixth place. I didn't even notice signs going into the lead because they were focusing rightly, I think, on the midfield. They were like, well, Bottas is away from Hamilton. That'll do for now. And they were focusing on the battles going on, I think, between Norris and Verstappen and Perez jumping into what was then fourth. And then suddenly Perez takes the lead. I just, I didn't, I didn't recognise it. It was pretty cool. It was a absolutely fantastic first lap. I was, I didn't sit down until about lap seven or eight, I don't think. Um, so fantastic racing, lots of huge disparity in pace between cars. Kimmy's opening lap, if you haven't seen it, go on to Twitter. I think F1 have put it up on there. It is absolutely incredible. But what the cameras didn't see, I initially thought that Hamilton actually had a problem because when the camera cut back to him, he was super, super slow. But what the cameras yes. missed was he had an absolute whopper in turn seven. He had a oh. right tank slapper and backed right off. And if it was raining, that was the sign of a man with the most to lose. And as he said himself after the race, yeah. it's a long game. I'll get him back later, I know. And he went so cautious that if you mm. see Sainz on board, Sainz almost pile-drived him going into <laughs> one of the corners because Hamilton was so cautious. I was just going to... Um recommend that you go check out Kimmy's onboard lap, which I found on uh, the Formula One subreddit. And uh, then Kyle said it, so I'll second Kyle's recommendation. But he got 10 cars on the opening (laughs) lap. And um, actually, on the main straight on the beginning of lap two, I mean, he was coming up on the back of Max. So I mean, it was one heck of an opening lap. And it didn't even make your list of all the several other things that had our attention. It really, truly uh, flew under the radar back there. No, I mean, it's one of those things, although it was like complete chaos, actually, you go, okay, well, I think Nick, you made the point, you said, if you had tuned in onto lap three, you wouldn't really have known (laughs) that all that stuff had happened. Yeah, we had returned to your uh, regularly scheduled programming of <laughs> Hambot Ver, had we not? Hambot, Hambot Ver. All right, Matt. Uh, good. Um, I think the, the way to, to wrap up that Mercedes battle is, you know, we know. I think, Kyle, I'll just pick up slightly on what you said. You, you said he was sitting three seconds behind. He was he was sitting two to 2.3 seconds behind, I think, because me and the boy were watching it on the timing screens. And I said to him, watch, if it goes to three or four seconds... That means that, that Bottas has a genuine pace advantage and he is managing the pace. If it stays two seconds, that's just him staying out of the dirty air so that he's not sliding around and, and wearing out his tyres. And I said to the boy, and I wish I'd, I'd tweeted it so I could have a big, I told you so. I said, lap 20. He said, well, you watch lap 20 towards, the, I got this slightly wrong, towards what would be the end of a stint had they been on the option tyre, like a out and out qualifying tyre. Said so lap twenty, that'll be the one for for him to come in and get it. And you, and you see that pattern when he decides, when he's sensing the tires are gone enough that I think Valtteri will be struggling, but not so much that I'll be struggling. And when he decides to pounce, that gap closes very quickly, and you can see that he's doing it at will. As soon as when Lewis Hamilton's ahead in that same kind of stint, you see that gap goes up to about five or six seconds because he's he's controlling the pace and he's not doing what Vettel used to do, which was go and just get a pit stop really quickly, Matt. 
you know, Hamilton tends to just sort of protect himself from like a virtual safety car or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Vettel used to drive off into the distance and then just manage the gap. Um, when Lewis is in front, it's similar, but the gap he allows for is smaller because of the potential of a safety car and, and whatnot. But to me, what you have to love about that is you know that Lewis is just sitting back there watching Valtteri, and at a certain point he goes, he's not managing his tires, that's all yeah. he's got. And, and he can spot that. In, in Botas driving style, because he always gets it spot on when he's got the car and the tires to go for it. Yeah, exactly. And it was, um, I wrote in my notes, it was lap 16, he starts taking a chunk out and I was like, here we go. Now he's, now he's putting heat on, he's decided to drop the hammer. And it continued. It was just a, a steady increment each lap, seamless overtake. And then he pulled away at almost a second a lap. I think it was about 0.7 second a lap he was taken out of him from there on in. He knew it and he didn't. And he didn't put the pin back in. That was it. He just he just unleashed fury and off he went. Uh, and I think the, the very last point, I think, on the, the Hamilton-Bottas battle was a little sad in the end, which is when Hamilton went to go on to the hards um, for his final stint. And Bottas said, so maybe we go to the softs? Come on, guys. If we do something different, maybe we can get him. And the, the Mercedes response of, oh, oh. Oh, Valtteri. That's what they were like, Nick, wasn't it? Oh, oh, Valtteri. Would love to. Absolutely. Oh, just the thing is, it's 2.1 of our teammate policy. I'm sure you understand. You know, we're going to have to also, we're going to have to move your pit lane to the basement. Uh, and also that that's actually our stapler. That's actually our stapler. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he admitted after the race on the, on the Sky post-interview that, well... I basically ate up my mediums and then I wasn't going to be able to make them last long enough to make the softs last. So it was never going to work. But then also the gap was, I mean, it was like 14 seconds, wasn't it? So it, it seemed like an impossible gap. That I think, yeah. 10 or why 11. Even, yeah. Why even risk it? There's no chance. So sorry. Yeah. Well, and, and this is an interesting thing to point out but the reason they pitted because when when they called hamilton and uh he's like really because like you know my tires are good and we know by looking at esteban ocon who went to lap 53 and said yeah you know i think i could have gone longer if i needed to that hamilton probably could have gone on for a while at yeah, that pace. yeah uh but they came in because botas was losing his tire he was getting a vibration and when they put them onto the hards uh, he came out in the middle of a midfield battle and immediately lost several places because he was ha because it was that much of a struggle really to get them up to temperature. Whereas Lewis, they're like, "Well, we're going to bring you in because um, you're clear of the entire field. You can have an entire pit stop and still be in front of everybody, so we're not worried." Also, I think there was a very good reason why they were why they brought Hamilton in when they did, even though he was saying his tires were still good, and that was when he came out. He was only just about three seconds ahead of Max. So Max had already pitted earlier and then they knew Lewis might have had some warm-up issues and they did probably probably didn't want that cushion to come down too much. So I think that's why they brought him in. They're like, no, Lewis, seriously, now get it out of the way and then you'll be safe. Awesome. Uh, let's move on to the rest of the field. Uh, before we do so, just a couple of iTunes reviews and a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, we had two very positive things come out of iTunes, Matt. The first one is... Well, uh, that I thought we were getting a series of very bad reviews from America, 
actually turned out to be good news. There's this one guy that keeps deleting the reviews so that he can then leave more bad reviews. And I just, I realised that if someone's going to all that effort, like they properly love us, love us. Yeah, you, you don't go to that much trouble if unless you really care deeply. Exactly. Like they are running up behind us in the playground and they are pinging our bra strap and calling us ugly. So uh, that was nice. But I got, I think, the best review uh, on, on for my email and it is from the US and I'll, I'll read it verbatim, Matt, and see how you re- react to this. I from right. Brazil. And if it was with a slight accent, right, it's I'm slightly Hispanic, so I can get away with it. All right. Okay. Uh, I from Brazil. I tell you now why show is good. The Spanners man. He funny. Not so funny like he think he is, but more funny than a little bit. The trumpet player. He's smart. Not so smart like he think, but more smart than a little. <laughs> and I love that. Uh, worst part of everything is too little talk about Senna, too much talk about Sergio Perez. And that is from, well, who's that from? That's from Moby323. Moby323, you are my man. Five-star review. And I've already told the kids that that's what I want on my gravestone. Here lies Richard Reddy, storyteller, conversationalist. He funny. Not so funny like he think, but more funny than a little bit. You've nailed it. (laughs) You're blown away. Thanks for that, guys. Uh, Moby323, more Senna chat coming up now. Wait, did he say Senna or Charles Leclerc? It's pretty good. Pretty good. The Monegasque. We've not said that for a while, have we? The Monegasque did pretty well there today. Right result for Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, we talk about Mercedes being in a league of their own, and they kind of were. Max was very clearly in his own race. I think part of that was probably down... I know he said his car wasn't damaged after the race, but I'm having a hard time believing yes. he didn't suffer some kind of aero damage looking at how much time he lost. Also, I was giving him like a, a widgie, like a curse from my sofa. Pretty sure oh. that had an effect. I was like, okay, lose lap time. Yeah. And and then and then you had Ferrari, which were very much in a race of their own uh, for fourth place. Charles, once the medium came in, he just got on it, got with it, pitted. Came out ahead of everybody, drove the hard tire home. And it's the first time uh, in quite a while I can remember Ferrari having a race pace to match uh, the qualifying performance. Yeah. That may partly be down to the weather and the fact that it's cooler. But they've also brought a fair number of updates to their car. Uh, Ian Frost would like you to regurgitate the results, the finishing positions of the top 10. Let's do that. Have you got a top 10 for us, Matt? Uh, well, um, I'm pretty sure Hamilton won the race. He did win the race. He's and, done and that I think quite Valtteri a lot. He was second. second. Verstappen was third. Yeah. Our friend Leclerc and Ferrari came fourth, which is a big result for them, followed by, uh, in no particular, well, actually in this exact year, yeah. Gasly, yeah. Sainz, Perez, Ocon, Ricardo, and okay. making it a double for Ferrari, Vettel. Only Ooh. the third time this year that they have finished both cars in the point. Kyle. Yeah. And Leclerc having such. A great race and great pace was a thorn in Red Bull's side and Max's side because the clerk was constantly inside Max's pit stop window. So he he took away one strategy option, but one thing it allowed him, it, well, it denied him the option to pit, to put some soft tires on and go for the fastest lap, which I'm sure Lewis would be very happy with. And yeah. I may have had a little 
bet on and I was quite <laughs> happy with as well. <laughs> it's good for my bank account. Um, but that's the first time that's happened for quite a while as well, that um, Red Bull weren't so far out ahead. Like Leclerc was just blocking that option of spinning or rolling the dice and doing something completely different with, uh, with Max. Gamble responsibly. When the fun stops, stop. Um, and Bruce Siegel in the live chat, he's made a comment. He's watching us on YouTube, Matt. He went to YouTube and searched for Missed Apex Podcast. And I'm sure he's one of the people who has liked and subscribed um, our channel. That really helps us. Like and subscribe, you guys. And click like on this video as well. All of that stuff helps. And put a comment in. Put a comment in. Say, oh, what the heck is going on with Nick's face? I, how did you guys go 36 minutes into the show without talking about Nick's face and the fact he looks... I'll say Postman Pat, but you won't really get that. Uh, Ned Flanders? What, what, kind, what is the look you're going for there, Nick? You've just got a massive moustache. Kyle, you, what do you think? I think I'm going to call that the full mantle. He's gone full mantle. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, Nick, just in case you didn't know, your face is alarming. I was alarmed when you joined the call that I think that's good. I mean, I, I figured that it would be very noticeable uh, since you have known me to have the full beard for, for so long. Alarming sounds a little bit uh, concerning. I, I have seen at least three or four Mansell references in the live chat. So I can only assume that is an overwhelmingly positive thing. And uh, if you look and at this... if you look at Kyle, he's got the bits of facial hair you don't have. You two look like different parts of a jigsaw puzzle. Matt. Um, the chat room is referencing Borat for some reason. I don't understand this. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, that's worth it, isn't it? That's worth checking out the video alone just to see the, the bizarre facial hair we've got on, on, um, on display here today. No, you're jealous because you can't grow a beard. How dare you? How dare you suggest I'm Wasn't doing gonna it? Say for it. that reason, how dare you, sir? Um, okay, so the reason I, I was referencing the YouTube um, was because we had a comment from Bruce Siegel. Like and subscribe. Uh, Bruce Siegel says, seems Ferrari does like the cooler weather, so maybe that looks good for Imola. Matt, does Bruce have a point there? Well, I think Bruce has a point there. Absolutely. I mean, it is it is Italy. It's close to home. It's actually closer than the Mugello was, if I'm remembering correctly. It's also only going to be a two-day weekend. We're only getting a Saturday and Sunday. Um, and all those do seem to be uh, tilting the field a bit towards Ferrari. Although, we'll have to see how they go once they get to the actual track, because it will be a different surface. So we might see some yeah. different uh, usage of the tires. See, Kyle, nobody wishes ill on Ferrari more than me. Like, we know that, right? And I was, yeah, I did have a little bit of a, a not glee, but um, yeah, glee, when they seem to be suffering <laughs> a backlash from, you know, what seemed to be a, a fiddle from last year. And, and they were suffering a bit. And I enjoyed that for a little while. But ultimately, no, ultimately, it's it's better if, you know, the second strongest team from the last era of F1 is starting to climb up there. Um, so it's nice to see them perform well. I'm hoping it's not just weather dependent. Uh, but what is clear is they do seem to have a superstar in the form of Charles Leclerc. Yes, they absolutely do. And that is why we want them to do well. We want, it's the same reason why I want Renault or Alpine, what they're going to be next year to be good, because we're going to have another superstar going in there. We want to see the best talent at the front and giving Mercedes a hard time. Hell, Mercedes want to see that. 
they keep saying they want to have more of a more of a fight. And Hamilton was actually made <laughs> reference to that in one of his interviews afterwards. Uh, it, was like, it was a shame there was no one else to fight out, out all the way out the front here. Yeah, but that's called lying. Um, they were lying all the way to the boardroom meeting. But yeah, look, next year, can can you just let's, let's let ourselves imagine for a second that you've got Hamilton, superstar at Mercedes, Verstappen, superstar at Red Bull, Alonso. I'm going to upset people next year because I'm cheering Alonso on next year. Sebastian Vettel, superstar at Racing Point, all with the potential to be pushing forward. And I think you could even throw Ricardo and Lando Norris into the mix at McLaren as well. Um, Certainly, like, if Mercedes do disappear into the distance, ah, but the battle for the podium and, and beyond, I mean, it could be pretty incredible next year. Yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it will be. Well, hopefully. And there's rumours of Ferrari are trying to do something about their engine for next year. So they're going to be a bit more, a bit more up the front. But quickly going back to Imola and will Ferrari be good round there? Imola was always a classic of, is your car good over curbs and good over Ah. bumps? How is it good at handling the curbs and the bumps? And for me, Mercedes always looks pretty good, but the Red Bull might struggle a little bit. So I don't know what Ferrari is like over the curbs, but traditionally, Imola is all about how your car takes those punishing curbs. Okay, so Spanners has just introduced the concept of lies in today's class, and then you have brought up F1's promises about next season. Please see us after class, and we will explain to you why this is an example of of a lie. Okay, and just to point out that you have changed your background to the one of the most iconic cars in all time the the real red five nigel mansell in his williams matt yeah well just to to glom on to kyle's point um they're allowed basically one engine next year they're introducing an engine for 21 and then it's essentially frozen i think for the season they're not going to be allowed to they'll be allowed to make changes for reliability purposes and those will happen and they will probably bring some competitive advantage but basically, they, they all agreed that under the unusual circumstances, they would sort of make an engine for next season, and that would be pretty much it to save money. And you also have a change in the aerodynamic regulations that is going to take place. And traditionally, that tends to spread the teams back apart, which is an unfortunate thing because they're just starting to look like they're getting close back together again. Um, and the speculation is it's going to help Mercedes in the low rake teams more or it will be less disadvantageous to them because really it was about clawing back down for us the teams have had so the Torelli Pirelli tires don't go pop at every single race okay uh we, we need to move on to we need to move on to Red Bull and n- not the greatest day I, I think not the greatest weekend in the world for Red Bull Max Verstappen in, in all sorts of adventures but let's get this out of the way uh we'll go on go on Nick you jump in well I read the official report of the race from Red Bull and many of the other teams. Yeah. And um, there was basically nothing about Albon in there at all. So either he wasn't there that day or he didn't do anything that bad because there wasn't really any comment. Well, okay. And this is what I was going to start with. I was going to get out of the way. Obviously, a lot of talk about um, Albon being under pressure for a seat. I, I believe just from from what what I've picked up on the grapevine I, I believe that decision had had I had believed that decision had been made Horner came out and said he's got two races to prove himself I think you could say that pretty confident that it would take a miracle to bring Albon up to the kind of stage where you could confidently turn around and say oh oh, oh look well those performances 
they deserve merit. I think he's only... We, we set him a pretty modest goal, Kyle, of being fourth, which is the minimum he should be every week. And, you know, that would be a, a par even, you know, and a chip and a little cheeky birdie if you beat Max Verstappen. Um, but today's result is far from that. He, he got lapped. He was looking nowhere even before he went to, like, switch to two-stop. Um, you know, in the middle of the race, he was battling with Kimi Raikkonen. This isn't the performance to save his seat. No, it's not. And this is just like um, Pierre Gasly last year at the Hungarian Grand Prix where he got lapped by his teammate. Albon was lapped pretty much at mid-race distance. And I thought at the time when that happened, I was like, I don't think he's going to be replaced immediately he'll have to the end of the season. But I, unfortunately, I think this race could have maybe sealed the deal. I said the same thing at the time about Gasly and I say it the same. I'll say it again about Albon. Red Bull's expectations at the moment are a big bowl of soup. Max Verstappen is a spoon at the moment. <laughs> Albon is a fork. What are you doing? Albon needs, they need to get two spoons <laughs> to have that soup. Albon is fork and he needs to be a spoon. Okay, Nick, don't mention cutlery. I was going to say, do not pan to me expecting me to explain the analogy because nobody can. Um, so let's say you were operating under the illusion that when you hear about drivers getting fired in the news, that it was a decision that just happened that week. Right. Um, and yeah. let's let's take it for, for face value that he has two races to prove himself. Well, I would think that with today's performance getting lapped by his teammate, finishing outside the points uh, when his teammate was on the podium, that there's nothing he can do now in the race too he's already squandered half his opportunity even if he ran even even if he wins the next race um it has got to be too little uh too late and i don't want to like you know just beat a dead horse or anything so i'll stop (laughs) yeah no 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 no, that's fair and look we don't need to pile on here Uh, maria antera says horner said it's his seat to lose and he's currently losing it is maria's comment so matt you have been the fiercest defender of alex albon on the show so far even you must have looked at today and gone yeah i mean i will say the optics of today did not favor alvin they did make the comment they were happy with his qualifying performance yesterday sixth Uh, but what really interested me and what i wanted to get into uh, references what maria was just talking about which was horner after the race did two things that fascinated me one he flat out said no, we don't think if we put Gasly in this car, he would be any better. Okay. Like, at all. And frankly, if we put Albon in his car, we think Albon would do just as well. And the other thing he did was he he at length went through Albon's race and pointed to the fact that he had a two-stopper, which was the reason he got lapped. But also, and I think interestingly, the fact that he wound up running in traffic during his first stint really caused him trouble with his tires that Max did not have. Now, does this mean that the decision hasn't been made? No, not at all. Does this mean that I think Albon did a good job? No, not at all. But it was interesting to see Horner go to that much effort yeah. if they've already made a choice. Okay, no, that, that, that's fair. Kyle, quick point, and let's move on to Verstappen. Uh, Ted Kravitz mentioned it in his notebook afterwards. There's been a whole raft of... um there's been a whole raft of updates onto the Red Bull and have made the car even more pointy and onto the nose, which suits Max. But what was the thing that Albon's struggling with is rear-end instability. And Mm -hmm, the updates mm -hmm. have maybe made the car faster, but they've made it worse. Red Bull seem very conscious of the car is difficult to drive and Max can handle it, but Albon can't. So I think they're sympathetic to his plight, 
they just need him to sort it out. And it's he's, he's almost got an impossible task here. I think he's always going to lose in that one. All right. Well then, Matt, I think we need to talk about Max Verstappen. And it, it's hard to do that without playing a little game. Whose fault is it? And the game is whose fault in it? Is it? It's based on my terrible, unhealth, unhealthy marriage where no situation can be resolved without assigning blame. Oh, you know, I do something wrong. She gets mad. I apologize. She does something wrong. I get mad. She gets mad. I apologize. That's how our relationship works. But there must always be blame. Don't come at me on Twitter as a follower and listener of this show saying it's a 50-50. It's a racing incident. We don't do that here. We want at least to know who is most to blame because it gives us an opportunity to explore the rules of racing. So some very, very interesting situations. Let's start with um, Verstappen on Perez on lap one. Uh, Right. So let's do a quick straw poll. One word answer. Whose fault is it? Nick. Otas. Kyle. The temperature. Matt. Perez or Verstappen? The track layout. No, right. You're you're all deliberately playing this game badly. Okay, so right. I'll just I'll just tell you that was definitely definitely Max Verstappen's fault. I was so triggered by his blatant gaslighting in his interview. Going well, Perez spun himself around. No, you spun him around by tagging him in the rear before Kyle makes a, any kind of perfectly reasonable defence of what Verstappen did. Verstappen was recovering from an error he's really narrow into a corner so narrow into a corner means you need to go a lot slower to make a a, a fair normal racing line Perez seeing that goes around the outside of him leaves him a car and a half on the inside of the apex carries on to a completely normal apex and Verstappen is just on a very narrow trajectory and just punts him and yet there's still people out there saying that Max did nothing wrong Kyle, I just just know how mad I am before you say anything. Just know how mad I am. Uh, all the points you've just laid out uh, all indicate exactly why it was a 100% racing accident. Oh, Max was shut up. understeering on full lock. Perez was sweeping in. Max is in his blind spot. Perez knows he's there, so he goes a little wide. Could have maybe gone a little bit wider, but Max could have carried less speed into the corner. It's yeah. just purely, a, they just trip, they, they, their lines converse and they just tripped okay, over but each Carl, other. Carl, it's as simple who's as fault is it? Who's mostly at fault? Um, who could most avoid it? It was probably Perez. He could have given more room. That's not the question. Whose fault was it? <laughs> Perez then. Oh, Nick. Okay, so my my answer was in good faith. I was not trying to wind you up. I would only maybe quibble with your uh, recap by saying that Max didn't make an error that, you know, Valtteri kind of shoved him off the track <laughs> okay. and forced him in. Recovering from angle. a situation. But, but if, I, if I have to assign blame between Max and Sergio, then it was Max's fault. There was space and he went too fast. Um, Stuart Neal in the chat uh, thinks that it's Brad Philpott's fault for the lane system. Yeah, we could blame Brad. Um, and in fact, I was chatting with Brad about, about this earlier, and, and Brad does put the blame at Max Verstappen. But he made a very good point as well, which is if you were Perez's driver coach and if you were a Perez fan, which I was, and, and, and this actually, it lined up with my initial reaction when we first saw the replay, like you, he could have done more to avoid it. But isn't, in my mind... That is kind of victim blaming. Yes, if that was me on a go-kart track and I was iRacing, I would have gone, okay, that's Max Verstappen. He's probably on tilt because he's just been involved in an incident. I'm going round him. Yes, maybe I could have just, you know, 
live to fight another day. But there's absolutely no doubt that the crash was caused by Max Verstappen taking an unusual line, not slowing down enough for the corner, and tagging Perez. I know love your the bias. other side of this argument. I love the other side of this argument for, uh, for the very reason that as a musician, like, there are people I play with. I'm like, oh, I know that, I know that when they play this part, they slow down there, always. I know when they play that note, it's always a little bit sharp, and I have to adjust to make it sound right. If I'm Sergio Perez and I'm going around uh, Max Verstappen, who's just been shoved off the track by Botas and trying desperately to maintain his position, the one thing I absolutely want to do is not cut it close in any way, shape or form, because I know he's desperately trying to maintain that position. So if I know Max Verstappen, my opponent, I know to leave him as much room as possible. And I think, you know, I love Kyle's explanation if they just kind of tripped over each other, because that's really what happened. I don't think Max was being too unreasonable with the speed he carried. But let's remind ourselves that the reason he was out there in the first place was because of the amount of speed that Botas carried into that turn. He had a huge snap of oversteer, totally caught it this way, and that's what took him off. So the track itself was playing a huge part in everyone being a bit unpredictable in terms of the lines that people thought they could carve. And that's exactly a good way of looking at it if you know there's going to be an angry Max Verstappen on the inside go wide and give a wide berth as we saw at turn one and we saw countless times they don't enforce track limits on lap one look what science did to avoid the accident went way off the track so Perez could have done that now if Max was on the inside and he was opening the wheel to try and maximize his exit then it would have been Max's fault but it wasn't he had as much lock on as he dared and he was just purely just understeering. And if you take Perez, the collision out of the equation, I don't think Max would have gone right out to the exit curb. I, th- I still think Max could have turned. So <sighs> it's it's Perez could have done more about it, but it's 100% a racing accident. So I'm hearing the, the panel are saying it's Max's fault. And I don't care if I'm hearing what I want to hear. But I, do you know what? I was just so disappointed because basically we were seeing Perez finally making a good start. What have I complained about with Sergio Perez all of this season is kind of lackluster starts, being too timid, Nick, and I've just been going, just go for it. And then there he is, right up in the top four of a Grand Prix, completely on merit, looking fantastic. Then that happened, and I was just, I was distraught. I was going to say what you've complained about, about Checo all season, his, his not having a drive. But, but, yeah, but that too, you, you have also complained about that. That's, that's fair. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Uh, a thing for the um, for your Paris thing, and what, and you were really upset about it. It actually could have worked into a bit of an advantage for him, a bit like Hamilton two thousand and eight in Monaco, where he had to pit, and it ended up being really good for him in the long run. Perez was on the softs. Perez pitted and got rid of him and went onto the medium. And it was that really long stint he did on the medium, which actually made his race really, really well. So if you look at it that way, yeah. being knocked out, being nerfed off by Max could have actually been a good thing. Maybe. Um, look, I'm getting someone called Jan Spitzer calling me an idiot in the live chat. And I'm assuming that's because I've uh, taken the side against Max. Look, I don't really have anything against Max Verstappen. I've taken Max Verstappen's side on a lot of things. And I'm going to take his side again for this next incident. So that comment could have been directed at any one of us. And you sheltered us like the Papa Bear host that you are. I appreciate that, Spanners. You're all like my little podcasting nephews that come come around the tree and listen to Uncle Spanners telling a story. No, I'll keep those wolves away. That's very kind of you to put it that way. It's more that I'm just like a hypersensitive diva going, oh my God, someone's, someone's criticised me. It doesn't matter how many people like the show. That one guy said idiot. Well, clearly he'll just have to comment again and let us know who that was directed at. <laughs> please be Kyle. Please be Kyle. Please be Kyle. No, right. So I'll the next, take one for the team. I don't mind. The next incident. No one's ever insulted Kyle. right? And this really winds us up as a, as a group because Kyle is like, like he's so nice and so like moral and like we just we really hope that you're going to get caught up in like just like a massive like sex scandal or something, Kyle. So that scandal. we scandal. Yeah, so that we, and we can go. We knew it. We knew he was evil all along. Look at the beard. All the signs were there. Not a scandal big enough for him to be cancelled. We still want him on the show. We just want to take him down a notch. So so Jan just um, confirms. No no it it, it was for Spanish. <laughs> okay look so um in practice. We saw a, a racing incident, uh, sorry, an incident between Max Verstappen and Lance Stroll. And then we saw a very similar one where Stroll did exactly the same thing to Lando Norris as well. So, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Okay, so this is quite a racy, racy thing. I'm going to go to Kyle Power. You are at Kyle Power F1 on Twitter. And you were very mm-hmm. reluctant to join Twitter. We kind of had to force you. But I just get that feeling that it is starting to enter your day-to-day. And when you have an opinion, you go, 
Oh, tweet that. Yes, I'm trying to ban myself from having any interaction on it before midday because I'm in too much of a bad mood and can probably land myself in some hot water. Um, I still don't like social media and Twitter and I'm very much on there under GRS, but I'm slowly coming to terms with it. I'm slowly, slowly doing it. So do keep badgering me and tagging me and things. <laughs> I will try to respond. At Carl Power F1. But Carl, here's some advice for you from a, a Twitter veteran. Look at my feed. Any kind of lovely dad joke or nice observation or positivity, a smattering of attention. The two times I've got really angry in the last week and put it on Twitter, I've instantly regretted it. But hods and hods of retweets and likes, hundreds. And you go, oh, look, look at all the attention. I must be more negative. I must do more hot takes. Um, but no, seriously, let's look at this incident. Lance Stroll on the outside. He, uh, he's on a hot lap. He overtakes Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen then assumes Lance Stroll is going to... Um, He's going to do a cool-down lap. He's up the inside of turn one. Lance takes the apex. They clash. Nick, whose fault is it? Lance. Why? There was there was a car there. You can't drive there because there's... There was already a, a car. car there! Carl, is it... As, sorry, Kyle, is it as simple as that? He turned into a space where a car was and therefore hit that car. Um, Almost. I'd say the initial actual crash was Stroll's fault and he... And he thanked us by repeating exactly the same thing again in the race earlier. But actually, the whole situation was both of theirs fault. I thought they were both incredibly stupid. Why on earth is Max pushing that hard to try to get a slipstream in a practice session to try to gain an extra tenth? You're just kidding yourself. It's not going to be a representative quali lap if you've got a slipstream anyway from a car donor. So, so, so why is he so desperate to go into that situation in the first place? He had plenty of time to back off. So I'd say the crash is Stroll's fault. But Max was equally being an idiot to put himself into that position in the first place. And I don't disagree with any of that. And um, I was actually pretty disappointed with Crofty's commentary and, and question delivery in, in that context in practice because he got Otmar on the phone. And he was like, you know, Lance appeared to be doing two laps. Now, is that normal can you do that the fast laps back to back or is there do you only do and it's like crofty you watch this every week you've come to you know that people go for runs why why are you asking uh questions you know the answers to i'll say I'm trying to be nice <laughs> uh, and then johnny herbert went on like a proper like assault of christian horner where he was clearly like angry and incensed um so look I think you're right, Kyle. There was an impetuousness to to what Max Verstappen did, and he was there. And there's lots of people saying, well, Max Verstappen should not have been there. But the same as we're saying, well, Perez could have done more to avoid. I mean, Matt, that's the level. That's what you said to me. Perez could have avoided it. Perez left like a car and a half's width. The fish was this big. He left three cars width to the inside for Max Verstappen. Stroll drove straight to the apex with a car on the inside of him. Max should have been there, but who? Massa, yeah. like in its yeah. in its in its ignoring of the fact there might be a solid object on the apex instead of just a curb, which I suppose is a solid object also. But you get what I mean. I mean, what do they say? Once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times is oh come on already <laughs> a habit. Yeah, it's very much second time is a habit in Formula One. I would say it was remarkable to me. And look, I don't blame Max as much for the practice incident. He was setting up for a fast lap. Stroll knew he was there. And let's face it, Stroll wasn't setting faster lap times than Max. 
So why in a practice session would you get yourself in front of a faster car who would then pass you shortly and screw up both of your laps? Just doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, personally, although I, I, I see that there are probably racy people who might have a disagreement with that. But in the race, like he was going around Norris and he knew Norris was there and it was just, it was ridiculous in my opinion. Well, that just goes to counter it as for the practice thing is if Stroll, why, why are you putting yourself in front of a faster car? The onus is on Max to give himself enough space to do the lap. And Max had that chance. Stroll was already on a push lap. Stroll was just doing what he was doing. Max chose to put himself directly into that position, directly yeah. behind him, which caused the whole incident. That was purely Max's choice. Oh, Carl, we've never disagreed so much on a, on a show. It, it's wonderful. And what I've always loved about this show, Matt, is that we can we can disagree and have a proper argument, be fully triggered, uh, be fully like, oh, why I order, and still uh, be mates at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure that it wasn't down to Max having a wobble that let Lance past him, and not so much him just backing up and trying to get a gap, though. Like, I don't remember a chat room maybe will have a better collective memory than me. Well, let's face it, like, you know, a pillow would have a better collective memory than me. I just feel like the pink car was fast. So I think that, um, you know, maybe Max thought that that overtake would be easier, that there was a bigger speed differential mm. between his car and the pink car. But I think if Perez had not as fun, I think that that car could have potentially finished P4 today. Yeah, absolutely. So I, well, I, but let's I move, think he yeah. may have been a little surprised that Lance was still there. Well, let's move on to the actual race incident that was pretty much a carbon copy. Huge difference here, though. Look, uh, Kyle, let's go to Kyle. Uh, Lance was making the move on Lando Norris, but that is a very defendable position that Lando was in. Entitled to race and defend. Where do you stand on that? Whose fault was it? Uh, it was Stroll's, Stroll's fault again. Stroll's, Stroll's fault. No, no, that's fine. Um, no, yeah. I played the bumper over you for okay. like like a dramatic like radio type effect. Don't worry. Okay, that that was Stroll's fault entirely. He could have gone up the inside initially. I thought when it was going to happen, I thought it was going to be an incredible move that he that he pulled off. And I'd like to just tr- touch on the track limits thing. There was quite a lot of discussion of them moving the track limits out, and they did that for a very good reason. One, there would have been too many laps deleted, but also. Because they moved the track limits to the edge of the curb, it gave a little bit more room on the outside of that corner, which allowed us to have side-by-side racing through there. So it was a good decision to do that. If the track limits were still strict, we wouldn't have seen any side-by-side attempts through there. So it it did seem like going around on the outside was the way to go. And it was how Gasly eventually got past um, Checo. And then it was how Sainz got past him as well. I swear I'm not trying to twist the knife or anything. I'm I'm really sorry. No, you shut up. But I just think... There's no way that it could possibly be Lando's fault. I mean, if Lance has goes around the outside and is past Lando, then when he's passed and he swipes across the track, then there won't be anybody there. But because there was a car there, then he wasn't past him and it was therefore too soon to move across. I don't see how this could possibly be anybody else's fault. Yeah, completely agree. And the battle between, I think it was, was it Raikkonen and Vettel and then um, Perez and Ocon, both side by side through there um, as well. And they and they did it perfectly. Like both times, there was two complete side by side through there. Lance just simply turned into early like he wasn't there. All right. Well, so a bad weekend for, for Lance Stroll. And um, there's been a lot of uh, chats about the conversation uh, from the driver's pit radio. Um, 
Lando Norris losing his cool, that was, we've seen that a couple of times actually. We saw it in the last race. It was a big, big outburst. I think the FIA, if you're listening, because I'm sure, I'm sure like Massey, he tunes into Mr. Apex, doesn't he? On, on the, on his private jet home. I think they need to just have a little rethink about what they broadcast on the team radio. Yeah, you can beep it out all you want, but you're still setting a precedent. Uh, you know, you're still setting an example of just being angry, having angry outbursts. And I'm watching it with a 10 year old and an eight year old and they're not stupid. They know that Norris is going bleep, 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 bleep. They know, they know what's happening there and it normalizes that kind of behavior in language. Okay, fair enough. They're in a cockpit at 200 miles an hour, Matt. Well, then maybe the FIA just need to rethink whether they stick that out on the live stream. They did beep Lando's. I, I'm not sure they were quite as good at the beeping on the Max Verstappen one in practice. Well, the Max Verstappen one on practice was problematic for other reasons. Yeah. And, and so the people doing the censoring may not have been as, I don't know, should we use the word woke? but not in okay. an ironic sense, Yeah, aware um, of some of the implications. And I will say that because drivers often have multiple languages, and, and I actually experienced this firsthand when I was a teenager in, a, in, a, in an episode that I will share with you maybe on Remain Indoors, that, that language can be used by foreigners in a way entirely yes. divorced from the context yeah, of native speakers. Um, but regardless of that, look, People are going to get angry. They are going to say things. I think the problem Formula One has is that I have F1 TV. I can go back and listen to exactly what was said. And if it's not shown, well, I can certainly tweet about it later, can't I? And then it just looks like they're trying to cover it up. Well, it's a choice, Kyle. They could just say, look, it's big fines. It is actually a, a half a reprimand every time you come on the radio and you're vulgar. And someone in the chat's going, well, if they know, oh, what's the problem if they know those swear words? Because we're just not normalising it. You know, it's Sunday afternoon viewing, all right? Yeah, call me an old fuddy-duddy. I don't care. I'm not your typical... Old fuddy-duddy. <laughs> I'm not your typical, like, oh, my God, wrap everyone in bubble wrap. It's just you don't need to do it, um, or you don't need to broadcast it. I don't think swearing's too much of an issue as long as it's beeped. I mean, it's heat at the moment. The adrenaline is surging. I don't think you could censor what they say. What Max said, the word he used was extremely unfortunate. It wasn't a swear word. It was more derogatory. Um, but again, this plays to the hypocrisy of Formula 1 fans. Again, I like to play a little game of uh, what would have happened if Lewis would have said that? <laughs> Either of those things. What would, Lewis, what would have happened if Lewis Hamilton had said either of those things? Um, there would have been a, a big crackdown. So look, I'm going to move on from it. But if we banned grid girls so that we could be inclus inclusive and make it not feel like a uh, an all-boys club and it be an intimidating atmosphere for women to enter, then then we need to also apply that to, to what Max Verstappen said. If it's a language issue and uh, he needs someone to tell him, then great. I hope somebody explains to him that there's hurt and upset caused by the language he used. And my opinion with this stuff is it really doesn't matter if the people who are offended are right to be offended or not. If you as a human being choose to continue using language that you know will hurt, alienate and exclude or make people feel excluded, then at the very least, you are making the decision to keep using that language and keep upsetting people on purpose once you've been told. At the very least, that makes you a big, meanie, poopy head. Uh, Matt, Perez, once he'd been punted off, uh, a really good comeback. I, 
I was really impressed. He got his head down. I would have rage quit on lap one. But looking at the lap times, he was right up there with Verstappen and the leaders. And there were certain laps where he was fastest car on track. Um, it was a really, really solid performance. And as much as I criticize him for his race starts, he, you know, he was conservative for a lot of the season starts. This one may be slightly too aggressive. You cannot fault how he went about unpicking the race and getting back in the fight. He was the only person to make a two-stop even remotely work. It was a fantastic drive. In fact, we saw three, four fantastic drives. I mean, Perez having to pit on lap one, running the medium tire, and then getting out on a set of used softs and doing just an ace job of getting to the front. We saw Gasly running the sauce for 28 laps and then going on to the medium, going all the way to the end. We saw signs, which, you know, leading the race and for more than three turns, which, hello, remarkable, and having a solid race after that. And then we saw Ocon at the other end going 53 laps on the mediums and were it not for a bad pit stop, being right there in that same battle at the end, I think it was unfortunate for Perez having to make the second stop because it would have been an entirely different race had he not had to do that. Yeah, Perez's um, Perez's strategy was more, well, I call it more of a, a one-stop with a penalty because it wasn't a true sort of going out for two-stop. He had to then switch to the one-stop strategy on lap one and his, and his penalty, and he did fantastic. But um, you mentioned Ocon. It just goes to show how badly those soft tyres were not working. I thought he was in a really strong position and was going to start hunting down sites, but he was actually struggling to stay ahead of Dan Ricciardo on extremely, extremely old mediums. So it was unfortunate for Ocon that he didn't have a nice new shiny set of uh, harder tyres to bolt on. I feel like that makes what Gasly did all the more impressive mm. because he went 28 laps on the soft. Like like Matt mentioned, a lot of the other guys stopped at lap 18, 19 23 he went much longer on those than anybody else and it seems like if going long on the mediums because the soft was worthless was a great strategy for some other people then that must be a horrible strategy for Gasly and somehow it worked out for him I don't know how but more power to him yeah and I look just having a little look in the chat look how much abuse I'm getting for saying be quite nice interesting isn't it uh, but I have to say Nick you're right when I saw Gasly uh, that was the next car behind in the queue behind Perez, I instantly got that feeling of inevitability because he has just, Gasly has just been on fire all season, uh, especially coming up to the mid-season. Every time you see him on screen, you think he's, you just think he is getting the maximum out of that car and he is like win or bust. And you just knew he was going to come through and get that result. And it's yet another outstanding result in uh, in not, the third best car, but he's making that car look like it's fully up in the top of the midfield. So I, I believe what the young people are saying now is that I'm a proper Pierre Gasly stan. I believe a stan is when you're, when yes. you're a big fan. Um, and yeah, he is en fuego. He is on fire. And I loved his interview with Sky after the race. They were like, you're, you're on fire. And he was like, yeah, yeah, things are going pretty good. Um, <laughs> so you're driving pretty well then. Mm -hmm. and and that was like that was basically the interview and then they asked him if he had any talks about moving to the red bull seat and he was actually just like speechless he was just like um and he didn't really say anything of any substance at all and i was like wow what do i 
what do I read into that? That's not even like a denial. That was, I don't know what that is. I would say that's, I really don't want to go into that car again. And, and that seat, cause he struggled just like Albon is. And that was a difficult car to drive. He's, he's obviously got to a sweet spot with the Alpha Tori now and it's Tauri, sorry. And it's, and, and yeah, he's looking so strong and he is my, you know, bet every weekend to try and get a big haul of points in that car. So I, even if they did offer it, offer him the Red Bull drive, if I was Gasly, I wouldn't be touching that even if I had a long stick. But would you be willing to say as such, like, would it really hurt him to be like, no, I'm not interested. Actually, we've already tried that. We're looking to explore new options. (laughs) Uh, Look, before we go on to the podium, Matt, not been the best season for Ocon and mid race wasn't looking great or fantastic for him. Actually, Ocon really, really made it work today at a track that Ricardo was struggling at. So is it fair to say a bit of 50-50, a bit of Ricardo struggling this weekend and a bit of Ocon really maximizing everything he could? Well, it just goes, and I hate, and I said this in the notes, and I'll say it now. The people who did well today are the people who can do well with the Pirelli tires in difficult circumstances. And if you want anyone driving for you, you want someone who can maximize the tires. And I know that he and Perez had their battles, but I will absolutely say, I suspect he learned a thing or two from Perez about these tires at their time together at Force India. If I'm Renault, I'm super happy. If I'm Cyril, I'm on the radio saying, excellent job. And in fact, that really happened. Um, Ocon did a great job. I don't think Ricardo did terrible. I think he did the best he could being pitted so early and put onto the mediums. But as he said, the car wasn't working for them 100% today the way it's been in the previous races. And Ocon, I mean, 53 laps mm. on the mediums. I mean, wow. Just wow. Yeah, it was yeah. a great job. And uh, I think finally in the midfield, Kyle, uh, we get accused, I get accused, of ignoring Sainz's performances. That's a real banner day for Sainz as well. Yeah, uh, fantastic performance. And again, he managed to deal with the soft tyres well enough. And I believe, did Sainz two-stop or did he make it into a one-stop in the end? One. Trumpets. One. Oh, it was a one-stop. So, um, so yeah, he managed to get those soft tyres far enough to make the one-stop work. Daniel Ricciardo made the best out of a bad strategy. Like, they were always going to two-stop and then realised the two-stop wasn't going to work and had to then do a one-stop. Matt, you look like a baseball coach. What is what is all these? What's these symbols you're throwing at us? 26 laps. 26 <laughs> laps um, before he pitted. 28 for, for Gasly. Can I just... I was well, very I'm, optimistic that you thought Kyle was going to get that from hand signals on a Zoom call. I don't know. He's a smart guy. That makes Science's performance even more impressive because I put in my notes that he started to really struggle with the soft tyres from lap seven onwards and their pace, the McLaren's pace in that early phase was horrible. So I'm surprised he got them that far. So doubly impressive. Nick? I was going to say, are we, are we talking about baseball now? We've moved on to the baseball <laughs> segment of the afternoon. Have you, did you guys see the World Series ending last night? Oh, my God. Okay, that's it. It's out of my system. I've got a bit of an uh, affinity for baseball because I've been completely addicted to watching Brock Meyer. Uh, about a washed out baseball commentator who like, and they fully play on the fact that people find baseball boring, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Anyway, uh, no, no baseball, no hockey, just Formula One. However, would you allow me, would you be really mad if I did a, a bit of a personal plug for a thing? I know me promoting stuff in my best interest 
what a wild concept. The podium is coming up. We'll be giving out our awards. But I would like to give you the opportunity to have a live band streamed into your house on Friday, the 30th of October at 7.45pm. It's a live gig uh, from a, a, a theatre, from an auditorium, from a, a band that I think is brilliant, but I would be biased because um, one of the two singers is Mrs. Spanners. It's Bassistry, and it's with a company that is professionally deals with streaming these kind of events live. So for £10, you could have Bassistry streamed into your living room uh, with a with a special link that will get you live entertainment for the evening. And it could be background listening. You could watch them intensely if you'd wish. Uh, but it's £10. Um, in a time, this is what the... The, the the lead bassist. Is that a thing, lead bassist? The guy who runs the band, he picked the bass. I can only assume because it's the easiest instrument, Matt. Uh, the guy who runs the band is called the music director. Oh, okay. MD. Okay, so he's the music director. He picked the bass guitar because it's only got four strings, so how hard can it be? Same thing you did with the trumpet, with the three buttons. Yeah, okay. three buttons. Yeah, no, there's actually the, the classic joke about the bass player uh, and, and the bass teacher and the kid. Kid goes the first week, learns one string, goes the second week, learns the second string, goes the third week, turns the third string, doesn't show up for fourth week, and they call him and say, what happened to the kid? And they're like, oh, he had a gig. <laughs> okay, look, in a time when the music industry and live music is on hold, Essex-based business, the Showcast Company, are leading the way in providing a new way to keep the show on the road with London-based jazz funk band Bassistry. That's my wife's band. They will be putting on a full production, live-streamed, interactive concert from the Key Theatre in Suffolk, the show will not be pre-recorded. It will not be available on demand afterwards. This is a live one-off experience as close as we can get to going and seeing the show. The audience can be linked in from around the world watching the show from the comfort of their own homes. If you are listening to this on podcast, swipe right on your little app thingy and there will be a link to go and check them out. There'll be a link to their website and if we manage the post-production properly, you'll be hearing a small sample now.
And Matt, I'm going to assume that they heard that sample and I'm going to move on to the podium. Putting a lot of trust in the editing skills of me and producer Steve Amy, but we can't go much more without talking about the fantastic achievement of Lewis Hamilton. Sorry, people who accuse us of Hamfosi. Let us accuse us of being Hamfosi. Let us have our moment. 92 wins. He surpassed Michael Schumacher. Sorry, Kyle. I am sorry. Um, whatever you think about the different eras, Kyle, and the, oh, it was more reliable now so you can rack up wins. There's more races so you can rack up wins. It's undeniable that Lewis Hamilton has at least, at least had the same impact on this era of F1 as your hero, Michael Schumacher, has had on his era in Formula One. They are comparable. We can argue all day about who was the best, but they are certainly in the same league. Yes, they are comparable. It's it's an amazing achievement from Hamilton. There's so many naysayers. I've seen a lot on Facebook and a lot of trash being thrown around already saying it's all just the car and stuff like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's still got to deliver it and get it home. And he's just done it today in the perfect style to quieten down the naysayers. He is, uh, I call that a comprehensive spanking of your teammate who's known and been proven as no slouch. Um, what can you say? You know, I'm a Schumacher fan, a big Schumacher fan, but I'm also a Hamilton fan, but I'm also a fan of witnessing and being fortunate enough to witness greatness actually happen right in front of your eyes. I feel quite lucky to have witnessed both of them throughout their entire careers. And I'm very happy that it's Hamilton that has taken Schumacher's records. There's very little doubt if anyone on the current grid deserved to do that. It was Lewis. And you can go all the way back to his rookie season. You can go all the way back to the GP2 drive that got him his shot at McLaren and ensured that he would be on the grid with Alonso his first season. Never mind his rookie season. Never mind winning the championship afterward. Uh, but Mark Greenhow made a wonderful comment in the chat, um, a suggestion for thing of the weekend, Anthony Hamilton. Despite the multiple international film crews absolutely everywhere, he filmed his kid's day on his iPad. Dad's gonna dad. So lovely. And it was really nice to see because they, they seem like they've had a bit of a rocky time. It was nice to see that today, just like it was nice to see the helmet presentation last race out. Yeah, I thought the... Um... The dad move with the with the iPad Pro was was pretty classic. I did think <laughs> that the socks with sandals was a little bit over the top. Always bad, always bad. But yeah, it's exactly what all of us dads would have done. We would have leaned over, and I do it at karting events. Even though, like, I've taken them karting so many times. Every single time, I've got my phone out, going, "Oh my god!" And when they go through those videos, they're like, "Dad, that's the same track. That's the same corner." A week later, why are you filming me? Um, but no, it's wonderful. They've been on a journey as a father and son, but obviously we've been on a journey watching them as well. And it's, it's okay for us, Nick, to... I know you're a Ferrari fan. I know you're far... Do you know what I was just thinking there, Nick? I was thinking, what's the Ferrari word for Tifosi? Okay, sorry. Completely my bad. But <laughs> what's the French word for rendezvous? Um, you have to at least be able to go, oh, okay, Hamilton fans, take it. Have your moment. I'm... I'm uh reminded of the famous George W. Bush gaffe of the French don't even have a word for entrepreneur. Yeah, that's the one. But, Sorry. Um, Bill, Bill Spooner has a, a great point in the chat that no one was even shocked by Lewis's performance today. And that says a lot. I mean, he beat his teammate by like 26 seconds and 
not shocking. That's how good he is. Yeah, and <clears throat> I know many people will give credit to Mercedes power units, but I will point out that other teams have, have their power units and have not done the same. It's kind of interesting to note that it was, what, 10 years ago that Mercedes, as a full-on manufacturer team, came back to the sport. That's a pretty remarkable record for a 10-year stint. Good. Um, but I will say, as a ham people accuse me of being ham and um, you know, that, and we've we've done that with everyone. We've done signs Fossi or Con Fossi. Yeah, and we got to Nick with Ferrari. I'm like, oh, what's the Ferrari version? Uh, right. Um, I am. I am a Hamilton fan. I've been a Hamilton fan since the beginning. I've I've loved the journey. It's been my Game of Thrones for the last 13 years. It's been fantastic. I actually don't care about the race wins record. I didn't know it was going to come up this year. For me, it's only titles, Nick. You do not want to compare your Lewis fandom to Game of Thrones. Otherwise, championship number eight is going yeah, to be no. really bad. I was going to say, season eight, is going to, he's going to really phone that in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm still not over the Game of Thrones finale. But for me, it was always about titles, Kyle. I looked at Lou, um, Michael Schumacher's seven titles and I went, you know, that's it. That is the only prize that matters. And I said to my son today, genuinely never thought that that would be beaten. Um, it's pretty certain Lewis Hamilton is going to equal that this year. And that's huge because seven titles, it takes away all the arguments about oh, there's more races in the season, but it, it doesn't matter. Seven titles is seven titles. Yeah, it's 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 matching the major statistic, which is seven titles. And I remember when Schumacher won his seventh titles, I watched all of his titles and all of his race wins, and I was there actually in flesh for a few of those. Um, and, and yeah, nobody, nobody thought that would even, somebody was even going to get close to that so the fact that he's going to equal the titles the race win amount i think is quite important i think that will still be the headline one that he said particularly if he breaks the triple digit barrier if he gets it to 100 i think that will be the one that's quoted more than the titles but um yeah just matching him you well i've got nothing more to say you you can't say enough superlatives for it well he's gonna get to 100 i find it very 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 hard to believe that he wouldn't win eight more races between now and yeah. the next several yeah. years that'd be in something would ha- i don't know what would have to happen to prevent him from doing that at this point but yeah seven titles yeah. um something that seemed like it would never be surpassed and it that was only in 2004 it's all it's only going to take like 15 years i mean it's just crazy i think eight titles will trigger lewis hamilton's retirement if he if he was to walk the title next year um i think by this point this season next year, if he's in the same position, I fully predict he will announce his retirement and go and go off and live the life he wants to live. He can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, and eight titles will be around for, for a long, long time. Let's get to our awards. Should we get to our awards, Kyle? Or do you want to interject with something at Kyle Power F1 on Twitter? What do you want to interject oh, with? I was just going to interject with... I'd rather he leaves at the absolute height of his game and then not yeah. come back three years later after many regulation <laughs> changes as an old man, yeah. a former shadow of yourself. Because Schumacher, when he initially retired, and I consider that his career, his first one, he retired at the top of his game mm. and left one hell of a legacy behind. And I hope Lewis does the same. He he doesn't just fade out. It's sad what we've seen with Vettel. Mm-hmm. Vettel's not done yet, but it's sad we've seen the decline in performance. If Hamilton can retire at the top of his game, that will just leave a legacy that's undeniable. Awesome. Awards time. This is where we spend a little bit of time being positive, giving out awards, and then we get to be armchair fans, slating people 
who drive basically rocket ships around a, a track on the ground and make it turn. And we sit here and go, well, that bit was a bit rubbish. Well, the, it's the equivalent of your wife watching you paint and then going, you missed a spot after you've been doing it all day. Kyle Power, who was your thing or what was your thing of the weekend? I'm really happy I'm the first one here because that means I can take the absolute obvious one and stitch the other two up. Sorry, and the other three. So my thing of the weekend was, of course, Hamilton had getting the 92 cool. win record. Awesome. Nick Alexander, who is your thing of the weekend? I mean, sure, that is the obvious one, but we could spend a lot of time in this section. There was a lot to like about this weekend. But if I have to just pick one thing, I'm going to go with Pierre. I think that was a heck of a performance in line with uh, a string of heck of performances. Just uh, really, really in fuego. Well, awesome. Let's do that. Let's give that award to Pierre Gasly. Uh, Matt Trumpets, what or who was your thing of the weekend? I know you're waiting for me to say it. Ocon <laughs> doing 53 laps and finishing ahead of Ricardo for the third time this season. Do it then. But I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Okay. I know you're you're hoping I will go continue the French theme and say Leclerc and Ferrari finally back in the picture, making it look like we could have a real season for the last uh, last real year of these regulations. The tension's killing me. Who who is it? But I'm not going to say that. Nope, 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 nope. The, hang on, I I'm figured out what you're fo- doing. I'm going to read the following thing. <laughs> this is my thing of the weekend: R- Racing Point 126, McLaren 124, Ooh. Renault. 120. I'm going to say the midfield battle mm, nice. is my thing. Oh my goodness. I cannot stop and I cannot wait to see how this turns out when we get to the last race. I have more after you do yours and I will not take nearly as long as he did. Keep going. Keep going. Go, go, go. Well, I don't want to take anything from you if you were going nah, to say it. It's but okay, it's I, fine. You, you have to throw in Kimmy's opening lap, which mm, we mentioned before. Yes. And you have to mention the fact that Albon had a pit stop that only lasted 1.8 seconds. Are you kidding me? I watched it. I watched it in absolute awe. It looked like it was frictionless between the wheels and the hub. And I swear they must have some kind of magnet on the wheel hub that is just pulling the wheels exactly into the right position. Absolutely incredible. Red Bull have clearly, clearly nailed that. Um, Yeah, I don't think you'll be surprised with my thing of the weekend. I will just say that looking at the chat room, I think I've not made any friends with our Dutch listeners, Matt. And I'm really disappointed with that. I'm genuinely disappointed because they seem very, very upset with me. Um, I have been a massive Max Verstappen supporter, so I am sorry. I really am sorry that this weekend I've looked at just about everything Max Verstappen has done and, and not been pleased. But, you know, do you know what, Nick? I can't, you know, I'm being honest. I say the things I think out loud. Sometimes it falls on one side, sometimes it falls on another. And I just hope that um, our Dutch listeners can be friends with us still, despite of me. Oh, see, I love that. See, the, the chat room has said something that has caught my attention, has had me throw my head back in laughter. You've caught on to that. You've panned to me, hoping right? that I will loop you yeah. in on that. But it's very naughty and it cannot be repeated. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Bad chat room. All right. Well, I guess this is the... Did I already give it to Perez? My good thing. Yeah, I'll give it to Perez. Um, but we, now we do like a, a bad thing. Oh no, you missed the apex. And that is because missing the apex is bad. And that's why this is the bad thing award. Where should we go first? Kyle, 
missed Apex Award. I'm giving you first choice again. You must be my favourite. I was going to say not me because I have three. So I want to see what the others <laughs> okay. say first let's... and then, I'll, and then I can right. pick one. Well, in that case, let's throw to Matt. Uh, who missed the Apex? Mm-hmm. Alban. Mm. Sorry. I, I have a million excuses for why, but <clears throat> at the end of the day. That's big. Yeah. That's huge because you have been really, really reasonable in your support. And we could have been a podcast that just went down the route of just slating Alban week after week. And you've you've kept us steady. And you've pulled back from that and you've tried to shine a light on reasons and mitigating circumstances. And I appreciate that. And I also appreciate your honesty at just calling out a bad race as a bad racer. I'd like to thank you for that. Gosh, it's awfully reasonable. Uh, Nick, say something uh, reactionary and mildly insulting. I don't know if I would go that far, but along those lines of uh, Red Bull-related drivers who were lapped by their teammates, I would have to go to Daniel Kafia for yeah. missing the apex. I desperately looked for some sort of explanation, some sort of comment and in interview. The official team race report, why he started in 12th or 13th and ended up in 19th, and uh, there was no reason. He apparently was just not uh, fast at driving race cars today, so yeah. I, I guess he missed the apex. And to be fair, driving the very fastest race cars in the world is really difficult. So you are going to have the odd bad day. Um, I'm going to give my Missed Apex Award to Otmar Schaffner. Am I saying that right? Otmar Schaffner. Schaffner. So he's always left a really good impression with me. Always seemed like a really decent egg. But with the Stroll stuff and with the Perez contract, with his interviews, he, he seems to have set himself up where he will deliberately mis- mislead us as viewers, and then if he gets called on it later, he'll be go, ah, but I technically, technically I didn't lie. And it's just, it's a little bit, I understand team principals have to protect information and predict and protect teams. Uh, but I don't know, Kyle, am I being unreasonable? It feels like now, I don't feel like I can listen to what he's saying without trying to find the hidden agenda in the, and the hidden meaning. Uh, I kind of agree. And my heart fluttered when he said Otmar, because he's, maybe one of my choices uh, for the pony award oh, i'm glad okay. you didn't take it because it was different well, I'm so dis- my, I'm, um, yeah i'm disappointed though carl because i, I like the bloke and i, I like racing point as a team uh, but but i've just been left with a bit of, of bitter taste in my mouth recently and of course some of that is like bitter perez fanboyism i i appreciate that the tiny bit maybe i 99.9 percent of that probably is definitely <laughs> that um yeah <laughs> Shut my up. um my missed apex in this one because nobody else took it was goes to Lance Stroll from not learning and having mm. two identical repeat oh. incidents. Um, that's that's a that's a pretty bad ball drop there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I know there's been so much positivity around Lance Stroll, and and I think correct me if I'm wrong. I think the Canadians, even the ones who weren't really on board with Lance, are starting to feel that Lance might be their champion, their warrior in Formula One. That's a bad day in the office. Well, it's a bad weekend in the office for him. Uh, Nick? I was just going to speak on behalf of Canadians everywhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As an honorary Canadian. No, it seems like uh, there is a lot of casual interest in in Lance Stroll in Canada from people who would not otherwise have been F1 fans. They're like, oh, you know, we've we've got somebody. um, And they kind of were aware. And then he, you know, had some, you know, had a podium, had some results. And he has kind of caught their attention and i i do think there is a desire to to root for the for the hometown boy there um but i will say has this weekend not really 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 shown the difference between lance stroll 
and what we would, would consider a top flight midfield driver, Nick? Yeah. So, I mean, I probably would have picked Lance Stroll to miss the apex, but it seemed too obvious. Mm. And I feel like actually as a recurring theme when I'm on the show making my debut, that I that I really try to come up with something clever for thing of the weekend mm. or for who missed the apex. Um, and sometimes you just have to point out the obvious and be like, yeah, Lance, uh, he drove into the cars when they were there. And yeah. uh, you can't do that because then you'll hit that car. But, but, um, and yeah, then, yeah. but, but also yeah. even, yeah, if you drive into a physical object that exists, that physical object will still be there when you get there. Uh, but, but also like, you know, off the pace and qualifying uh, was behind, you know, Perez at the beginning of the race. Not, not the positive vibes we've we've been sensing from him for the rest of the season kyle obviously he's had a bit of time out the car we'll we'll give that caveat but i still would put all money in the world on perez beating him every single season if they were together and i'm going to put good money on vettel beating him as well um yeah probably i think in lines of defense i think he's done a pretty solid job this year and he has shown flashes of extremely extremely good driving and results, but you mentioned he's been out of the car. Um, it was amazing that Otmar even said that. He goes, oh, Lance has been out of the car and he's a little bit rusty. You can maybe see that a bit today. I was almost making excuses yeah. for him, okay. which I found quite surprising. Yeah, and that's the feeling I get. I feel I get the feeling that they are towing the party line on, on the deceit. They want to make it out to be anything other than we're keeping Stroll because that's um, Lawrence's kid. And they, they want to try and justify it. And from a corporate point of view, from a brand point of view, I get that. But it makes it hard to trust, you know, what's what's coming out of their mouths. Mm. That wasn't the pony, was it? Did you have another pony? Daddy, oh, that wasn't the pony. We were just finishing up. Again, Carl, I was just going to play that under you talking. What's your pony award? This is generally the award we give for like petulance when people like get on the radio and they they yell stuff. A lot to pick from today. We've already covered Lando and Max. I'm not going to cover those again. What was your pony award, Kyle? And my pony was along the same vein as we have just been talking about. My pony was to Otmar Safnauer uh, for his um, for his pit wall um, comments during the race. And, and it just shows how blinkered the team bosses can be and to favour their own driver. So yeah. in both occasions, he said, um, yeah, he was unhappy that Max didn't get a penalty. It was blatantly a racing incident. And he was taking, there would have been almost like you on the pit wall commentating on that and commenting on it like um, saying it was completely not Perez's fault and he was a complete victim. And he did the same about Lance again, the way he was trying to pitch it, saying, yeah, well, it's not really Lance's fault when it clearly, clearly was. It just shows his absolute blind faith in his driver or blind corporate party line faith that he has to play. And it was just, um, yeah, he didn't have a leg to stand on in either argument and he still towed that line. And I'm sorry, I feel like we've been a bit harsh and Otmar. It's just been, Otmar, sorry. It's just been building a little bit. Anyway, Matt. No, I don't think you've been harsh. He, he, the, the entire team, and especially if we take into account the handling of Lance's illness, have really been playing very dubiously with the kinds of regulations that you should not be looking for loopholes in. My opinion. All right. And Otmar, as smart as he is, can play the game with the best of them, but sometimes you got to recognize that playing the game isn't in the long-term best interest of your team's optics. All right. That's what I would say. Got one last award, and then let's get out of here, but, Matt. Oh, go, you've done it to me again. I'm trying to move on. Sorry, I thought you were asking me for my pony award. Oh, I so had one. You, did you? Okay. No worries. We can, we can do that. My pony award will go to my friend and friend of the show, Romain Grosjean, 
who being freed from the shackles of a contract next year, admitted that not only is their car the slowest on the grid, but that they have a random overheating problem with their rear suspension that causes the ride height to randomly vary throughout the race. Yeah, he said, I don't need to not say stuff anymore. I don't need to protect the team anymore. I'm just going to say whatever I want. I don't know if that's really a pony, but just like I felt like we had to mention it because, man, that was some awesome information. We've been kept company today, not only by the wonderful Matt Trumpets, not only by the dashing, edgy and fragrant Kyle Power at Kyle Power F1, not only the learned and wise and disturbingly moustached Nick Numbers Alexander at Nick Alexander F1 on Twitter. I thought you were going to go in my direction when you said dashing, and I'm actually quite offended now that... Kyle got the physical compliments and I got the the, the mental compliments. I, I don't know. I, I'm a little offended. Well, I don't care. It's just your problem if you're offended. Off. I'll say what I want. I ain't going to do all this PC stuff. You're a snowflake, Nick. The, the shed is not a safe space. The shed is not a safe space. <sighs> but not only have we been kept company by the panel, we've also been kept company by the wonderful live chat room. Thank you so much for keeping us company. And thank you to our patrons who've supported us uh, so generously over over the past year and before that and beyond. Um, Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. Um, but out of the live chat comments that keep us company during the race, there is one winner of... Comment of the week. And I don't decide that because I'm not paying enough attention and I'm tired and I'm getting old. And this is the drinky, drinky part of the show. So Matt does this bit. Yeah, I do. So just to be clear, we're not down with poop jokes, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you've said poop now, so we're through the we're through the looking glass, aren't you? And what's my time limit? So like, I can be, always... I, so I can carefully curate all the potential winners. Okay, one, I feel like you're gaslighting me by pretending no. that I have control over the time. But I always say to you, you know, like, just but... give me like three or four candidates. Like, you know, we've got homes and beds to go to. All right. We'll start with Christopher Fonseca, F1 2021. The runoff is lava. I love that. Our friend, our friend Lydia Cruz. Kimmy is a great hobbyist. Pretty good. Not bad for a hobbyist driver. Um, Nothkey. Kimmy playing with 0% AI difficulty. <laughs> On lap one, he, he he took it all the way down to rookie level and smashed it. Absolutely. And uh, I guess we will wind up with low stealth. 1.8, uh, sorry, Ed De Bruyne. Stroll hit the apex, but forgot that Lando was there. Certainly did. Who's the winner, Matt? Has to be Nothki Kimmy playing with 0% AI difficulty. Comment Thank you so much, guys. Please do follow our panel at MattPT55 on Twitter, Matt Trumpets on Facebook, Kyle Power at Kyle Power F1. Have you done that? Have you added F1? At Kyle Power F1, at Nick Alexander F1. You can follow me at Spanners Ready and the show at Mist Apex F12. Everything we've talked about on the show today will be in the show notes. So you can uh, go and buy a, a link to my wife's live streaming gig by um, looking at your show notes in YouTube. It's just down here below. So while you're clicking like and subscribe, go down and check out the basistry.com website. And if you're on a podcast app, just swipe across to the to the, um, to the the notes and the link to the Patreon will be there as well. If you want extra content, 
if you want to join us in the Slack group, if you want ad-free feeds, and the link to that gig as well. You can also leave us a tip, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar, if you would like to buy us a pint. Uh, we will have some extra content in the week, um, so tune in around Tuesday. We'll also be back with, I think, a new show next Sunday too. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex. Ah, that was an emotional, Matt. That was like, there's a lot of things happening. It was a really busy chat room. There was a lot of arguments. I was triggered at several points. I did some social justice warrior stuff. I was like, be nice, everyone. And everyone was like, we don't have to do anything. We can do whatever we want. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm being criticized. I'm melting down. I should double down on my stance. And I was like, oh, man. That's all clickbait. That's what we should do. We should put on the episode. Ah, Spanners, social justice warrior, alienates Dutch audience live on air. Watch how this podcaster alienates an entire country. Click here now. Like and subscribe. It was a roller coaster. It was great. You you really, you put me under the gun. We had so many good comments. Uh, Lydia (laughs) Abortamal for Stroll this weekend. but what? Very good. <laughs> Michael Holgate, maybe when Lewis says the tires are going, he's actually talking about Botas tires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, how did that Don't not you. make how did that not make the shortlist? That was the best comment. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> who who said that? Whose comment was that? I just when you put me under the gun, I make my choice. Whose comment was that? Tell them. me whose comment that was, Trump. It's now or I'll take that. Michael Holdgate. Comment up the Taking two comment of the week winners. No, two comment of the week winners this week. Official. That's going in the official audio edit. That was so funny. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Lydia, again, I thought it was Stroll that struggled with rear end stability. (laughs) Oh, that's that's a poop joke. That's why you asked that. That's why I didn't say it. You made the wrong choice. That's why I didn't say it. You made the wrong choices. This is like, okay, my, hang on. What was the missed apex? Oh, no, you missed the apex. So, so for me, I really feel like, you know, Matt's comment of the week performance was just, it was just lackluster, you know? It, you know, don't want to say... Sub-optimum. You don't want to say phone it in, but, you know, is he picking these comments at random? You know, there were some really good ones. I don't know if we can trust comment of the weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 